Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week, I was joined by Zuri Rice, the head of video at Hearst Magazines. We get down to exactly what the head of video at a magazine company does, going beyond looking solely at big view counts, and why Facebook remains an important part of Hearst's video strategy. Hope you enjoy it. Zuri, welcome to the podcast, your first podcast. It is my first podcast, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank okay, you. I'm excited to have you here. What is what is the role of head of video at a magazine company? Well, it's really bringing our brands uh, to life in the video space. Um, that was what really excited me about the position, and that was what I spoke to Troy and Kate and Brian about before I joined. Um, it's really looking at it across the board. I oversee editorial video, which is definitely the video, the specific video teams for all of our editorial brands that are really doing a video push. And then it's also looking at overall video development strategy. So working across the board to think about how is video showing up at Hearst Magazines and also just how are we thinking about video and thinking about how we are moving into doing more in the space. So you are at Viacom. What's the big difference being at a magazine company that is expressed across many platforms versus a Viacom? You know, what's really funny and interesting to me is that I've found there are a lot more similarities than than the differences that I would have imagined. Um, when I was at Viacom, I had the opportunity to look at brands um, and having worked on the linear side and more of the long form side and then working on the short form side, it was this continuing conversation around how are we taking um, this amazing IP, these amazing shows, um, and these amazing brands that we've worked on for years and years and that are so beloved and how are we realizing them in a different way when I was working in short form and it's that same expression it's thinking about oh my gosh like we have these amazing brands beloved brands we've looked at how they come up you know how they're showing up in print we've looked at then how they're showing up in digital and now we're just looking at that expression of how they're showing up uh, in video Mm -hmm. so a lot of these these brands were built in print Yes. Yeah. And so explain the challenge of of expressing them then in video. You know, I think now, it, I mean, not every media brand needs to be expressed everywhere, I don't think. Well, I mean, I would say that no, I mean, across the board, you know, media brands should express themselves on the platforms that really make the most sense to our audience. Um, But I really feel that for us and for thinking about these iconic brands, um, thinking about where our audience is, like video is a huge part of them and a huge part of how they come together. Um, And if we think about how that brand then shows up, it's really about boiling it down to what is, you know, what is the essence of that brand? Um, And not every particular thing, of course, will, you know, will or should come. We want to be authentic to the platforms that we're on. We're wanting to be authentic to, you know, whatever nuances we are seeing for our audiences on these different platforms and in these different forms and mediums, but we still want to be true to what the brand is. Um, And that's what we've looked at. We look at it case by case. We look at it brand by brand. Um, And it's really been exciting also with the way that the different... you know, the different brands have have actually, I really felt, and, and I will admit, when I came in before I started, you know, I was I was like, will there be, you know, um, feelings from the brands about like, you know, this this pushing this new expression and looking more at how we're showing the brands up. And I really found that the opposite was true, that um, all the brands that I've worked with have been incredibly, incredibly excited about that and have been incredibly collaborative. Um, and it's been really a, a pleasure to to dive into that creative work. 
Are you focused on like a group of brands sort of to lead the way? I mean, which are the brands? Um, I mean, Hearst has a lot of brands. We so, do. <laughs> so which are the brands that I know that you all love them all equally? I love but, all my children the same. But some, but some have more potential to be expressed in video than others. And some are bigger, frankly. Yeah, I mean, I would say that we have brands that we are currently focused on for a number of different reasons. So one of the things that we've really been looking at is uh, YouTube. And so on YouTube, we have certain brands that currently have, uh, you know, a larger following on like YouTube. Who? Like who? Um, so, you know... I would say that you know, Cosmo has a really, uh, you know, has a, a lovely and robust following. Um, we would say that, you know, L has had some really great success. Seventeen has had some amazing success. Um, but, you know, those are just, you know, places that we are starting or places that have happened to have more resources at particular times. And what we're really looking at now is I, I wouldn't say that there is um, – from our stable of brands, you know, there isn't a brand where we're saying, well, there isn't a video expression of that brand. It's just really narrowing in for each brand of what is that video expression, what platform is best for that brand, um, and where is that audience and doing that in a really authentic, mm -hmm. data-driven way. So explain why this is a, a video strategy versus a YouTube strategy, because it, it seems like there's a lot of YouTubes at the center. Yeah, I, I mean, for us, YouTube is, is always a going to be a big part of our discussion, but I would say, and I feel like we've all seen that, you know, focusing on a particular platform uh, exclusively is just, it's not, it's not what our audience does. It's not how our audience interacts with video. So that's not what we as a company are going to look at when we're looking at video. So we're of course going to look at YouTube. YouTube is an amazing partner. We are looking at larger ways to expand there. It is also a great place for us to look at more longer form storytelling. There is an audience there that's used to connecting with us in that way. Um, but with YouTube, we can look at the type of content that we make there and how that then works for our other partners. Um, and looking at how we can take some of the learnings that we have there and work with those with mm -hmm. other partners. So for us, it's really saying like this is a really great distribution place where an audience is already here for us to share and showcase our content. But it is really us for us about hearing from the audience, growing, and looking at how our content is, is being reacted mm -hmm. to. But most of it is off-platform, but by that I mean off the Hearst-owned platforms. I mean, well, we, I mean, we have robust video, uh, you know, across our sites. So I, right. I would, I would which say you that... Which you can monetize, which you of know, course quite we at, a, at a much, well, at a much higher level. I mean, like, look, when, when publishers started in video you know they 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 put a bright cove up and they and they ran some pre-rolls and they made money but the volume was not um such that it was a ton of money and then publishers ended up then pivoting to video and that mm -hmm. meant pivoting to facebook uh where the views were unbelievable the monetization less so we know how that went um so explain the distribution aspect versus the on-platform aspect you know, I mean, I would say that for us, our, you know, our owned and operated continues to be a huge priority. We are a, you know, we are Hearst Magazines. Um, you know, magazine is, is part of who we are and, you know, and our print and our digital is always going to be, you know, a huge part of us. So as we think about all of this really coming from how our audience is connecting with things, of course, we want to continue to have video on those. We want to look at different ways for us to have video on site. And that is a continuing conversation mm -hmm. we've been having with our product team about how we want that video, you know, to show up more on the site. But most of the views are taking place on YouTube, Facebook, other platforms. 
I mean, yes, there are there are a lot of views that are happening on those platforms, but there's also a lot of views that are coming to us from our, you know, from our sites. And I would also say that for us, the way that we have been looking at video on site has been something that is a continuing conversation, but I wouldn't say that we're fully optimized there. So for us to fully measure where it is right now is not the potential of where it could be. I, I think it was last week um, Facebook reached a settlement when it came to their inflating their their video metrics. Um, and it started this relitigation on Twitter, at least, of the, the pivot to video, which, again, is the pivot to Facebook, really. Mm-hmm. And there was people, you know, weighing in with their personal stories about how, you know, it ruined publications, at least in, in these people's views. Um, because they put all their eggs in this Facebook basket and it didn't work out at all. Now, whether this was all done w- based on these, you know, phony numbers, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really persuaded on that. Um, but explain where Facebook fits in a video strategy now, going into 2020, eyes wide open. I mean, Facebook, I really feel it's about, and it always comes back to for us, our audience. There is an audience on Facebook. There is an audience that is consuming video on Facebook. Is it perhaps, you know, the views that everybody once saw and that, that there once were? You know, probably not. Um, but Can is you make there money still there? Well, there's money. There, there's there's money still coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, so I feel like for us to abandon uh, a particular platform where we know our audience is 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 never where you know where we are. As we look at different platforms, of course, you know, and we look at the metrics and we look at how the audience is relating to them. We look at the demographics of that audience. Um, our, you know, content strategy has to continue to evolve. But we really take our cues from the audience and we see that there's still audience there. So we continue to have, you know, a mm-hmm. video presence on Facebook. But what is the job Facebook does that YouTube doesn't and vice versa? Well, there's different, it's different types of video. Um, you know, there's a different type of content experience that people are having on Facebook. Um, and there's still a desire for some of the shorter content. We've been looking at YouTube. We've been looking at longer content. Um, we've been looking at longer opportunities there. For Facebook, Facebook has, of course, also pushed towards longer content. But there is still more of an opportunity for us to look at some shorter um, opportunities. Um, we continue to have, uh, you know, robust um, recipes and things like that that we have put there in the past and that we would continue to look at for okay. the future. So the food stuff still does great. There's still, still, bonkers. There's still food. There's still a lot. There's still a lot of content that, you know, we have Cosmo has had um, a really great presence there. We have a lot of brands that have had a great presence there. Um, and so we, we want to continue serving those audiences. Mm-hmm. So talk about the actual content because a lot of publishers were doing these short videos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we mentioned the recipe content. So mm-hmm. er- everyone was doing their sort of version of the tasty, um, what is it? Hands in hands. Hands in hands. Yeah. Yes. Everyone was doing that stuff. Um, nowadays it's, it's all about, you know, you, you need longer videos. Mm-hmm. I mean, so is is most of the focus on less on this short form stuff and more on how do we make more longer form uh, content that is, by the way, easier to monetize? Well, I mean, I would say that um, when we look at YouTube, definitely, you know, definitely looking at longer form content. So what is longer form when it comes 
So that was actually what I was about to get to. Um, I think longer form has like a, you know, a sliding meaning for a lot of people. Some people are like, oh, it's three minutes. Yes. You know, it's three or four minutes is long form or five or seven minutes is long form. Some people, 22 minutes is long form. Um, You know, for us, it's looking at things that, you know, are in more of the, you know, the five to seven, the 10 range. Also looking at some things that are passive that are closer to the 22 range. Uh, Those have been things that we've been looking at more on YouTube um, as we've looked at how we're growing out some of our original IP and also some of the, I wouldn't say not in the 22 range for some of our content that we're doing with celebrities, which is, uh, you know, a large part of what we do, but certainly looking at it longer. But then if we look at some of our other places of distribution, um, if we're thinking about things like TikTok, um, where, you know, we uh, we have a presence it's not looking at that type of, you know, that type of content. It's really looking about like, okay, what is this platform? What are people connecting with on this platform? And in some places we still do have shorter form content because that is what the audience is consuming Mm -hmm. on that platform. And now a quick word from our sponsor. What if you could reach the right professionals the right way? Imagine the best place for marketers, a place where you stand out, a place that has exactly the people you're looking for, and even better, they're looking for you. That would be a place like LinkedIn. Better targeting equals a message your customers care about, which in turn leads to more trust built with your customers. In fact, there are 62 million business decision makers on LinkedIn. So you're building relationships that really matter. And according to a recent survey, 71% of people use information from LinkedIn to make informed business decisions. That's a lot. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash digiday. That is linkedin.com slash digiday. For your free $100 ad credit, terms and conditions apply. Now back to the episode. Um, you've only been there four months, so I'm going to ask I you have. a question that, that maybe is, is unfair you can't answer. Uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering if the if the number of absolute videos created now versus say two years ago is far lower. Like I just felt like two years ago people would come on this podcast and they would talk about their billion views that they had and I'd say, Well, how many are on, on Facebook? And then there would be a pause and they would say, Well, most. Um, because they were just pumping out a lot mm-hmm. of these short form videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say that I do not, in my handy-dandy um, fact sheet, have the exact numbers on how many videos we did. But what I would say is, you know, across the board, we've been looking not necessarily at scale for number of videos, but scale for how many videos we're doing on the right platforms and whether that type of scale is mm-hmm. the right platform. So the amount of videos that were pumped out on Facebook is not the right amount of videos to pump out yeah. for, you know, for YouTube. So we wouldn't do, you know, we wouldn't do that anyway. You haven't talked about your absolute number of views. Is that less, is that le- is that just because I haven't asked about it or is that less relevant? I mean, I think for us, you know, look, we're, we're always looking at, you know, at larger numbers. Um, we're always looking at how many views. I think I have a lovely handy-dandy okay. sheet with all of our, you know, our amazing views. And I'll, I'll ask and, you and if, all if, of that, if these are good. All so of that talking? fun stuff. People used to come in here and they'd be like, four billion. <laughs> and I was like, you could say any number and I would be like, okay. For us, look, we've been looking at around like one billion views per, you know, per month that we've been... Um, looking at kind of across the board we have 20 million subscribers on YouTube we have all the fun all yeah. the fun stats I've but got which the fun are most important when, when you at the end of the month you know when when you get the the all the data 
what are the numbers that you end up looking at? I mean, I think views are important. Like, they just are. They're still important. They're still important. Um, Top you know, of the funnel. I, views are always going to be important. But for us, as we grow, as we focus on audience, um, certainly looking at um, at our relationship with YouTube and at the information that we can get there, things like average view duration is important. Um, things like even um, learning about how we're packaging our videos. So, you know, like our click-through rates, all of those things are important. Uh, you know, our retention and mm. those things, total those are important. Total watch time, is that I mean, total, total no. watch time is something that we think about, um, but total watch time, of course, is really tied to volume. Um, so I think for us, it's, it's thinking about like, as we're growing, as we're looking at the continued, uh, evolution, how are people connecting with our video? Um, we're, we're giving them this video. What are they, you know, what information are they giving us back? What is the data saying about how they are responding to it? Are they staying with it? Are they connecting with it? Um, you know, and it, for us, I would say, you know, even looking at certainly the comments and the things like that for particular videos, um, we are thinking about, you know, the strength and the future of our video efforts. And what's really important to us as we look at that is, of course, making sure that we are, that we are scaling, that we are thinking about how we're going in the right way. But also, like, are we doing things in the right way? Are we getting views that are leading to stronger IP, that are leading to people to really connect with our brands? Because at the heart, it's about are we creating the right content for our audience and for our brands? Um, so we look at views, of course, that's important. Um, but we're also looking at kind of those those satisfaction mm -hmm. metrics. And not all views monetize equally, sadly. They do not. Uh, um, so how does that factor into it? Because, you know, you got to make money, right? We and do. Um, Facebook historically, is the, the views on Facebook um, have not monetized the same. I mean, YouTube, yeah, you can make money off YouTube. You can make more money, on, I'm sure, on your own properties. Um, so where, how do you balance that? Yeah, I mean, for us, we do, one of the things that we think about is revenue. Um, we, you know, we look at that as, you know, it's a component of our puzzle. Um, you know, if we're looking at how we are spending, how we're investing, what's coming back to us because of that investment. Um, and that's something that we have to take into consideration. But I would say that it's also for us a, um, you know, a factor. It's not the only factor. Um, because we have to think about, again, like our audience and how they're connecting to content. And if we are seeing that our audience is really, really connecting to something and we haven't quite figured out the best way to monetize it, we have amazing salespeople, we have an amazing partnership team, we have people in place that can take us in a different direction with great content. Mm -hmm. If our content isn't there, you know, that's, that's where the true challenge is. So for us, it's like, let's Let's nail down to make sure that our audience is reacting to our content. Let's keep an eye on, you know, on the revenue. Let's not make sure that we're kind of going in a direction where we don't feel that there's a return. And they're very um, much a part of our discussion and a part of our process as we're evaluating, like, what success looks like. But we really want to make sure that first and foremost, we're focusing on content that is building our, that is building our brands, that is building that audience relationship right. with our brands for the future. So can YouTube be profitable for a publisher like Hearst? Sure. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We wouldn't <laughs> be there if we didn't think that there was opportunity and, and, and a really a great opportunity for, you know, for money and for revenue. Can Facebook? I would say that Facebook um, continues to be a part of our pie. That's a no. So it sounds like YouTube is more important than Facebook, at least nowadays, whereas it would f sort of flip. And this is something we hear from a lot of publishers. 
I mean, I would say that, look, um, where we talk about platforms is that for us, platforms are really, they are parts of our audience and parts of the pie. Yeah, they so do different jobs. They do. Facebook and, reaches a lot of people. And so for us, one might be a place where we are getting more revenue. Another might be a place where we're, where we're really connecting to the audience. Right. Of course, it's always great when we have places that, you know, that do both. And then another place may be a place where we haven't yet had an opportunity for monetization, but we know our audience is there and we want to be a part of that conversation. Is that like the TikTok type stuff? You know, across the board, we continue to work with our amazing partnerships team to really, you know, talk to uh, emerging platforms, to talk to platforms where we haven't had as much of a presence, where we see that an audience is there and an audience is opportunity. Um, and the great thing about our partnerships team is that, you know, they work with us in that calculation of, okay, you know, we may not have revenue here, but here's the here's the value mm -hmm. in that space. Um, so we're continuing to, you know, always look at how that is showing up and how we're evaluating that. Is Snapchat working? Snapchat is... is um, is definitely an area that we've been, you know, we've been looking at. We have, you know, various shows that we have on Snapchat. We have, um, you know, various places that we're connecting with Snapchat. It's a huge part of our, you know, of our distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, how about, uh, we talked about the pivot to video years ago, but now it's sort of a pivot to TV. And by mm -hmm. TV, there's an asterisk around it because it's a lot of it is OTT and streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. Where does that factor into the strategy because a lot of publishers are looking they're saying look the short form game is over um let's go there's a lot of money sloshing around with with these various streaming platforms let's go directly to that let's make shows let's have franchises yeah i mean i would say that for us again it's parts of the pie so that is always we're always going to look at okay how can we continue to express our brands um, so, you know, I wouldn't say the short form is over. I mean, you know, we have, you know, we just announced a show that we're doing with Quibi. Um, you know, we have other spaces that mm -hmm. we are connecting with and we have other opportunities that, you know, we've been talking about. So for us, short form is, you know, still very much alive. Um, OTT is, though, also a really great opportunity for us. And it is, you know, something that we think about, certainly, as we look at longer form content. Um I come from, you know, a longer form content space. I've worked in that and in digital for many years. So, of course, it's an area of excitement and interest for me um, and a place that we are looking at. But I would not say that short form is, is you know, somehow dead in, as a space. Um, our audience loves short form content. They really connect to short form content. They connect to long form content as well. It's something that we are looking at. But Short form continues to be a great space for us. It's a great place for us to partner with advertisers. It's a great place for us to connect directly with our audience. It's a great place for us to connect with a lot of the amazing talent that comes through, you know, the building and works with our brands. And it's something that we're going to continue to work in. Explain what you're doing with Quibi. And I mean, a lot of it is just a potential opportunity. Who knows? I, I, you can't see it right now. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, the people behind Quibi have, have quite, quite a pedigree. Um, and there's, there's certainly money there, uh, which helps. Um, but explain what you're doing there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really great that, um, our amazing partnerships team, um, which is headed by Brian Madden really led the charge, um, to bring together some, some really amazing pitches from, uh, throughout the organization and also, you know, with our, you know, separate originals team um, to bring to Quibi early on. And we've had, you know, a couple that we've been talking about. And then uh, one that we're super excited about, which is the Adam Rippon, you know, This Day in Useless Celebrity History, um, working with some really great internal partners on that, um, Michael Moraz and Jason Eichler on, on our end, um, who are bringing that to life. 
Um, and I mean, we really just felt like, you know, Adam is an amazing talent that we've worked with in short form in a number of different places. Quibi is, a you know, there's a lot of opportunity there uh, for us who are really excited about short form. And so we felt like, you know, this is really a great place. And we're, you know, we hope that this is one of many mm-hmm. relationships that we that we have with them. Give me the case for Quibi. The case for Quibi? Yeah. And we did a, we did a, we did a piece um, back when Seahill was here with the case in four and against Quibi. Because, I mean, a lot of people don't think it's going to work. I mean, it, uh, look, Go90 didn't work. Um, so, yeah, it's got Jeffrey Katzenberg and stuff. But I- explain why the world needs Quibi. Well, I think Quibi's looking for, they're looking at the things that we're seeing, um, which is that there's an amazing amount of excitement um, from this audience around short form. And so they're thinking, how can we bring this to them and how can we partner with huge names and mm-hmm. with you know amazing brands to look at this as, as kind of its own thing. Um, and so I feel like that is to me what's interesting about Quibi, that it is really saying like, this is the space that we're playing in. This is what we're really excited about. And we are not necessarily looking at this as a stepping stone to something else. We're looking at this as it is and how our audience is connecting with it. And we are trying to give them amazing content that they're coming to every day with these great names um, to work. And so look, I, I think Every venture is is always you know is always a challenge and always has you know yeah. some odds stacked against them, um, but when you're working with really great talent across the board, you know both at the company um, and with a lot of the you know the, the projects that we've seen announced, then you know I feel like that's exciting and uh, you know selfishly of course because we are a part of it we root for yeah. everybody to win yeah exactly <laughs> um, talk about some of the content that that you would point to as the kind of standout types of content that that you want Hearst to be known for in the video space? Well, we have a show that we do right now um, on YouTube, Bestie Picks Bay um, from Seventeen, that I personally really love. It is something that is really organic to the space. It is a dating show where essentially we have the best friends of a person pick, you know, from some singles um, to pick who's going to be their bae. Hey, you guys, I'm Sinead, and I'm 27. (laughs) And I'm Emil, I'm 29, and uh, we're here to find Drew a bae. Oh, I think they know my type. They know what they don't want for me Uh because I have a terrible track record of uh, picking bad boys who make me cry. Uh Emile's the one who keeps me in check and Sinead is the one who tells me what I want to hear. Yeah, so (laughs) essentially I am the angel on the shoulder guiding you towards the light. Um, and, you know, they're asking a lot of questions and it's really fun. What I really like about it is it's something that came internally. It's something that we use real people for. It's something that we shoot in-house. Um, I mean, it has, you know, roughly over 2 million, you know, views per episode. We've been doing, you know, several seasons of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also something that embraces different, all different types of people. You know, we've had, you know, same sex, different sex, uh, people within whatever range of, you know, the spectrum um, people are identifying with. And we're really connecting with that because it's something that we heard from our audience that we're connecting to with our audience and that we're doing it in a, in a very, mm-hmm. like, natural way. But uh, explain why that's a 17 show. Like, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good show. Um, but why does it, why, why 17? Because actually I would say that for us, 17 is really about authenticity. It's yeah. about, um, you know, all of the brands are, of course, are, are authentic in that in their way. Um, but, you know, 17 is a younger brand and it is connecting with that YouTube audience, you know, where they are. And I know that we talked a lot internally, like with the show, 
it is not a super glossy show. And that was intentional. We were saying, like, we want this show to feel the way it should feel, um, which is something that we are, you know, focused on the people and their relationships, not on, you know, a big, huge, beautiful, wonderful studio, Mm -hmm. um, but that we're relating to the YouTube audience, you know, as it is. And that's really, you know, part of the 17 brand. It also is very inclusive. um, And it's very much about, like, we're, you know, we're not doing a lot of like coaching and put like we're letting we're just letting it happen and letting people be who they are. Um, and that is what feels very 17 and unique about it. It's not a show that we would do for another brand. Right. It's it's truly about 17 and 17's voice. And with two million views a week on YouTube, that can be profitable. Yeah, it's a nice show. <laughs> okay. I'm just wondering, I mean, like you say, it's like less glossy, but that also means that it's cheaper to produce, right? It's something that we produce in-house and we're very thrilled efficient. with. It's efficient. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, we're going to leave it there. Zuri, thank you so much. I think it was a wonderful first podcast. Uh, thank you so much. It was really great to connect and, and thrilled to, uh, to chat about all that we're doing. Okay, thanks. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. I want to thank Pierre Bienname. He produced this podcast. And if you enjoyed it, and I hope you did, please leave us a review at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week. 